Evelyn Hearts. This is my podcast where I'm focusing on documenting my journey starting a consumer brand from day one and beyond. And it's been a fun side project so far because I get to talk to smart people like Juliana Casali, who is most recently the head of marketing services at ClearBank, which provides fast funding for online sellers like Untuck It, Magic Spoon, and a host of other DTC brands. So really excited to have her here today. for joining us, Juliana. Yeah, thanks for having me, Evelyn. So I'd love to kind of talk to you a little bit about your career journey. I know that like, I think we met like at an event in Boston for marketers a, a few years ago. So you were in Boston doing B2B marketing. You're now in Canada, it looks like. I can <laughs> I can see from your, your background image. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I uh, and I've been working with companies that are kind of in the D2C space. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what attracted you to e-commerce and, and D2C, and kind of how you got started with that. Yeah. So sort of what we were talking about before we um, started hitting record. Um, I've been B2B SaaS my whole tech career, but every time I found myself. Um, with the target audience of D2C customers, I got really excited about their challenges and how they were thinking about growing and what their tactics were for acquisition and how they were thinking about retention. And I really found it attractive to have this physical product that they were trying to sell. And I was always on the software side of trying to help solve their challenges as online businesses. But you know, the more I got into the world of what they were doing and seeing and, and experiencing, the more I was really intrigued by it. So it's kind of accidentally been a thing I've fallen into at several roles where, for example, um, when I was at an ad tech startup called Nanigans, our target customers were online retailers like Adore Me who were trying to go up against a lingerie uh, behemoths like Victoria's Secret. So they were trying to disrupt the whole lingerie industry by going online. And then when I was at Crazy Egg, my target audience was brands and agencies who were using our tools to try to figure out their customer journey online as people were perusing their websites and going to the add to cart. So that was kind of a cool way to see how they're thinking about the customer experience from going to an ad to a landing page to a product page to actually making a purchase. And then finally, when I was at ClearBank, same thing, you know, we were investing heavily in online retail. Uh, and so we had over 2,200 customers that we made small investments in and just seeing what they were using the money for and what their different media mix strategies were was really interesting. And so, you know, at this point, I, I do have a lot of B2B SaaS experience, but I also do um, have a fair amount of knowledge about the online retail space. And now that I've seen the other side of it, I really am enthused about it and, and really want to learn more about it. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you on that. I feel like I've spent the majority of my career also like working in B2B SaaS and B2B marketing. And it's accidentally been at companies that are kind of e-commerce focused. And now it's getting to a point where it's it's on purpose because it's a really, yeah, it's a cool, cool market. And it's just a space that's blowing up. So being on the B2B side um, and kind of working with B2C marketers, have you noticed any big differences or is it is it all just marketing? I think it's a lot more similar than dissimilar. And it's funny, you know, I've, I've seen that people who try to apply for D2C jobs are kind of poo-pooed if they have a B2B SaaS background. But I really think it's very similar in the channels you use to acquire customers, in the fact that you're trying to sell to someone who's a human being. Um, <laughs> so I think that there are a lot of similarities. It is different in the fact that you have to be, you know, so focused on the physical interaction you know it's a real product that you get in the mail or a real product that you pick up at a store the engagement that you have with the branding is tactile it's not just digital 
Um, but I do think you have to have a similar obsession with your customers in either case. If you're giving someone software that's all virtual, like what is their actual onboarding experience like, even if it's not in the physical realm? And then if it is a physical object that you're selling, you know, what does it feel like to order it? Then what does it feel like when you have it in your house? How does it feel like experiencing it? Um, and, you know, trying to retain those customers, whether they're, you know, using your dashboard or if they're actually wearing your leggings is, I think, very similar. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like you've had an opportunity to learn from the best. Like I, I think Magic Spoon is one company that comes to mind. It's just like a company that I really admire when it comes to their their marketing. You like got to actually work with them very directly in the form of filming a commercial. So I'd be curious, A, like would love to hear about that experience, but also would love to hear your take on what you feel like great D2C marketers get right. Yeah. So when I joined ClearBank, we had a few case studies that were from online retailers that are used in our investments um, successfully, either in their ad spend or their inventory purchasing. But there were written case studies that were like one pagers or we'd add them to the website, but it was very text heavy. And I kind of wanted that element of storytelling and um, you know personalizing the story of how someone used the money to really grow their business and what that felt like. And so um, I asked a few of our customers that I knew really loved us um, and that might be willing to actually have a video filmed. And um, I was lucky enough to have Magic Spoon say yes, which as soon as they said yes, I was like, all right, great. Like, let's pick a date. I'm going to fly from Toronto to New York. Like, we're going to set up in your office. I feel like they were probably a little overwhelmed by how enthusiastic I was, but I I love their product. And I really was so excited because their brand is so strong. If you go to their website, it's just beautiful, like font choices and colors. And it's just very um, dynamic and really kind of childlike, but in a grown-up way, which is exactly what their product is. And so... I flew to New York. It was December. <laughs> it was really cold. And we did a whole day shoot at their office. And it was kind of funny because they share a space with another company and the other company was moving boxes around. So we had to keep shushing them, which I felt really bad because they hadn't signed on for that at all. <laughs> but just like, <laughs> we're losing light and you guys are making noises, ripping these tape things off of your boxes. And can you please just go out to lunch for an hour so we can have the space? <laughs> um, but yeah, they were really gracious about it. And yeah, so we definitely um, took full advantage of having Gabby and Greg, the two co-founders, kind of dominating their day and, and sitting them down in front of a bunch of really pretty plants with a ring light and getting them to tell us how they really loved using ClearBank's funding. But it's so cool. Like We got to take B-roll of them walking around with their branded boxes. We got to do like a, a slow pan over their bookshelves with their cereal boxes. We got to show them like unboxing cereal and eating it and laughing at each other. Like It was very cheesy, but super, super fun. And their team was really nice about letting us also take b-roll of them working quote-unquote together so it's really hard to do that without it all seeming really forced but I think the final product really turned out great yeah and I think you that you touch upon some of the stuff that I really admire about their branding for those of you who aren't familiar like it's a cereal um but for adults and has like a bunch of like different like nutrients but their their website is amazing and I I feel like they they've really figured out their niche and, and their audience and just have found such a great way to resonate. And so I'd be curious, do you think that that's like a really key, important piece of D2C marketing in general? And are there there other pieces, like say you were um, the first hire at a D2C brand, what would you do first and and where would you focus your your time and energies? That's a great question and something, you know, I'm considering as I keep going down the path of, of a more B2C focused career is, you know, what's the most important thing or what are the top three things? And I think that 
tough part of marketing at any job is figuring out your priorities because there's always so many things you can do, especially at a startup. Like you, there are 12 to 20 to 25 things you could try to tackle any given day, week or month or quarter. And so I honestly think the customer experience is the most important thing. I know a lot of people start with the brand, but I feel like if you don't have a good product that people enjoy using, and if you don't make them experience of using it good, it's not going to matter how much paint you slap on your product, right? So I think start on, are you offering something that people need? And then are you helping them get it fast? And then the rest can follow. So then you could focus on your branding. and focus on acquisition, things like that. But I think just nailing the actual product market fit is so important. And then things like content marketing will come into play because the first day that you launch your content marketing isn't the day it starts working for you. It's, it's really like a three, six, nine month process. So I feel like a lot of podcasts I've listened to where founders talk about their successful businesses, if they're asked what they, they wish they had done differently from day one, it's usually they should have started content marketing before they did. So that's something that should come into play early. But again, focus on the customer experience and the product first. And then I think I would also, I feel like a lot of people will start off the bat with acquisition, like, okay, we've got this thing, let's get customers using it. But I think it's really important to focus on retention, like of the people who are using it, are they coming back as repeat customers? Are they telling their friends? If not, you could keep trying to shove people into the acquisition funnel, but they're just going to fall out the bottom. So maybe fix that problem first and then start thinking about co-marketing and partnerships and referral programs, things that are less money, but help you in the long run with your bottom line. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I love the way you put it of starting with the customer experience and like working backwards. Because one word I see thrown around a lot in the D2C space in particular is this word community and like kind of what that means. You look at some of the brands that have done this really well, like Glossiers of the world, right? That have really been able to build a community. And I, I think it does start with kind of really knowing their customer and being able to work backwards. What companies do you think are doing that well, like this kind of community piece? And how do you see that relating to content? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like everyone always says Glossier is the example. And I totally get it. They have like this sexy brand that started as an e-mag and, you know, it's like a certain type of consumer. And I I don't know, I haven't drunk the Kool-Aid on that one, but I understand it. I will say we had a customer at ClearBank who had a nutritional issue where he had to eat sort of a keto diet and he started posting recipes online just to share um, good meals that he had found to align with his new lifestyle. And he got a ton of traffic on his site, so much so that he decided there was a community around this topic. So then he launched a Facebook group. He got a ton of followers. He actually launched a few others. And then he started pulling people what kind kind of products they wanted to see um, that they saw missing in the keto universe. And once he had a good idea of what people needed, he made it. And then every product that he launched since then sold out. So um, that's really a great way to do it, in my opinion, instead of starting with the brand and the product, starting with the community and the content first. But there are some really great companies that I've thought of as examples. The latest one is actually a company called Alice. It's A-L-Y-C-E and they're based out of Boston. I just found out about them after I moved to Toronto, but they just launched this online summit for basically for anyone, not just their customers to attend. And it's called the five to nine. So the premise of the five to nine is that people have their nine to five during the day where they do their jobs and then they go home and then they've got their personal interests And it's all about what are your side hustles? What are your passions outside of work? What do you really care about? And so I actually participated in one session yesterday where it was just like a free virtual boxing class and it kicked my butt. (laughs) It was really fun. 
And so what they do is they, they've gathered all these experts to do this online summit just to kind of generate goodwill and, and show value during this really tough economic crisis we're all going through. You know, and I'm not a customer of Alice. I think that it's like personal experiences for it might be e-commerce companies. Like I know it's something to do with the customer journey and helping people you're trying to target with your marketing to like get products that align with their interests, something like that. Yeah. The fact is like, I didn't know anything about Alice before this five to nine event that they launched and now I'm a big fan of it. And if I ever have the chance to use their product or like explore what it does, I definitely will. And then another really good example of community is it's actually funny. I, I'm super into musicals and I subscribe to this theater called the Mervish, which is this downtown institution in Toronto. And they've been sending this amazing online magazine every week into my inbox. And it's, it's so funny. Like you think of a theater experience as so physical and you'll go to a certain place and you sit in a certain chair and you're watching people perform in person. And you know, you wouldn't think that that would translate well to this whole new online world that we're all in, but they've been doing such an amazing job of fostering engagement and activity and getting people to connect with each other. So for example, um, it's now the 20th anniversary of the Lion King musical. And so they had a bunch of people submit Hakuna Matata videos where they're either singing or lip syncing. Um, and they just posted the video of a bunch of people who all sent in themselves recorded. And it's so cute. It just puts a smile on your face. Um, and another really cool thing they're doing is they have this big marquee in their theater. And of course, no one's really going to the theater anymore, but they still have this marquee space. So they've had people submit slogans that are either about like staying safe or washing your hands or thanking healthcare workers, but they're all sort of musically related in some way. So it's very clever. But what's really cool is if you submit a slogan and you win the contest, they'll put your slogan on the marquee. And they also give you $100 towards a ticket when we're all allowed to watch theater again. So I just think it's so clever and, and kind of just heartwarming. And then the last example I have is NYX. So NYX is an online retailer, but they also have brick and mortar stores. And before this all happened, I went to one of their, it's like an after work session you can book where if you have a certain amount of people, I think it's like four or more, you can book their store for a private party and they give you champagne and they give you flow water and then you get to try on whatever you want. And then they give you a discount if you buy anything. It's just such a fun night out with my coworkers. And then now that everything is online, again, they've kind of had to pivot from the programming of going into their physical location on Queen Street. So now they're doing virtual sessions where you can get a bra fitting and they'll kind of guide you through the process so that you can order something from their site without having to leave your house. That's such a creative idea. Like, I feel like it's interesting on like all the examples you kind of touched upon how people are using this time of economic uncertainty to really create valuable content that resonates with their audience. And that also just sounds fun. So <laughs> yeah. Another thing you, you tweeted about recently was this article that kind of talked about this company Everlane and how they've recently had to lay off a number of their workers. Um, and they were a company that really, I personally like looked up to as a great example in the D2C world of transparency and having ethical supply chains. And then you see them having to lay off workers and it, it, it's really sad. In these uncertain times, many D2C brands, many companies like have missions that they, they kind of hold up. And and I'd be curious to kind of hear your, your take on uh, companies that are able to do that authentically and meaningfully, and then companies where it kind of can land the wrong way, or you kind of see these contradictions. Yeah, I thought that article was actually really fascinating. For anyone who didn't read it, it was a Medium post, and 
essentially it was, you know, Everlane put itself on this pedestal where they're saying, you know, we've got this transparency model and we'll tell you exactly where our products are made and the production methods and how ethical we are and all these things that, you know, it's a fair price that we're charging you because we're, you know, everything's bespoke and it's very, you know, good for the planet and all that stuff, which is great. I, you know, I applaud that obviously, but the problem is like, they put themselves so high up as this lofty mission. And really there was nothing about their product that was really all that different aside from them just like touting the way that they were getting it made. And so, you know, when their mission kind of fell flat and it turned out they might've been laying off people who were trying to unionize and they had, you know, been bragging about how profitable they were. And all of a sudden they're laying all the, off all these people and claiming they weren't profitable. It just all felt a little fishy and superficial. So it's like, yes, please, by all means, be sustainable and be transparent and, you know, hold yourself to a high standard. But that can't be all that you're offering. And it can't just be a PR play. You know, it has to be something where your leadership is really bought into it or passionate about the whatever your mission is. And that if if you're put to the test that you'll stick to that mission and it's not just something you're doing when it's convenient, but it actually is in the core of what you stand for. And so I think something like Patagonia where, you know, they are very high quality, high end products, but they're also good for the environment. And, you know, the founder will encourage you to keep, you know, sewing the buttons off if it falls off instead of returning it, or, you know, like they'll keep patching it up if you need to, just so you don't keep buying more clothes and and having things end up in landfills. I think that's amazing. Right. And it's proof that you can be successful and make a profit without having to sacrifice your morals. But yeah, I think it's, tough when you set yourself on a pedestal like that. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you mentioned Patagonia. I recently read their founder's book, Let My People Go Surfing. One of the things that I remember him mentioning was that because, you know, Patagonia is a company that's been around for a while and they've had ups and downs. He mentioned that there was a time, I, I believe it maybe was in the 70s or 80s, where they did have to go through a round of layoffs. And, and what that taught him was that important to be very deliberate about your growth and that it, it, I think it actually prompted them to sit down and write their morals and and write down um I think they call them their their like principles or like pillars not just from like a branding perspective but as a company and I'm sure that you know with a lot of these companies like Everlane they're kind of in this situation where maybe they took on money from from VCs or I, I just think the question of growth becomes really interesting and giving your experience at ClearBank and kind of working with these brands, you know, if I'm a D2C brand starting from day one, how would you kind of approach funding and what do you feel like are the trade-offs or potential trade-offs with taking on funding? Does it lead to things like having to sacrifice your mission at a certain point? I guess, what are some of the things that you would consider? It's really interesting. I wasn't familiar with Dragon's Den before I moved to Canada, but essentially it's the Canadian version of Shark Tank. And the co-founder of ClearBank is a dragon. So she was on the show giving, you know, advice and taking pitches um, from online businesses. And over and over she would see this excitement on a founder's face when they took, you know, some money from the dragons. But then she'd say to herself, you know, this really isn't a fair deal because we're taking a slice of their company and they can never get it back. And, you know, aside from that, the loss of control where we can kind of tell them what to do as an investor, like that's not really super attractive, especially if you've started your own business because you wanted to be your own, your own boss. And so, you know, the more I kind of dove into the realm of investments in the world of online retail, the more I was like, oh, wow, you know, she's right that if you take VC, there's a lot of control that you give up. And if you take a bank loan, it's a little nerve wracking because you have to put a 
personal guarantee up against that investment that they make in you. And if you have a house, that could be your house. If you don't have a house, it could be your parents' house if you're a millennial. So, um, you know, it's really scary to think about economic downturns like this, where you've put up your collateral and if your business doesn't do well, you could essentially be homeless. And so no one really goes into business thinking about the absolute worst case scenario, but we are at it right now. I think it's a little prophetic the way that she created ClearBank to battle that problem because the investments are not based on personal assets and they don't take equity from you. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. If I were to start my own D2C company, I would try to bootstrap. I would try to get an angel investor too. I would try to get a friends and family around before I took any capital just because yeah, I wouldn't want to be on the hook to someone else's decisions for my company. And I wouldn't want to feel pressured to have that hockey stick growth in the absence of anything else. You know, if you're starting a company to solve a pain point for your customers, that's what you should focus on. And if you start your own company to be able to call the shots, then you should be able to retain that control. And if at the end of the day, you know, a slow and steady progress is going to be the best thing for you your employees and your customers, then I hope you can stick to your guns and find the right money that will let you do that without all the pressure from outside investors and stakeholders and, and all the people that can kind of lead you in the wrong direction. Well, thanks so much. I, I really appreciate those are all the questions that I had for you, Juliana, but I really appreciate you you coming on and sharing your experience. I feel like my, my mind's still buzzing from uh, all, of the, all of the things that you've shared around like marketing and, and financing and just the D2C space. So um, really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, happy to talk to you, Evelyn. I love geeking out about e-commerce. I've been listening to the How I Built This podcast basically every morning since I started the job at ClearBank uh, last June. So I like it's just so interesting to hear all these stories of founders who have started something and all the trials and tribulations and all the things they learned on the path to being successful and the fact that no one is successful overnight. It's such a battle like over years to to build something that's really meaningful. And so, you know, I wish you the best of luck on your journey. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it.